Hello, and welcome to the Neurodivergent Leader Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Heather Lynn Wagner and Donna McLaughlin. We believe that everyone deserves access to opportunities for leadership development and personal growth. That is why we are on a mission to destigmatize difference, identify challenges, improve outcomes, and empower neurodivergent talent with the tools to become the authentic leaders they were meant to be. We want to provide a safe space for the open-minded exploration and celebration of neurodiverse minds. We will spotlight the narratives of neurodivergent leaders, advocates, and experts, and share our own stories about educating, raising, and loving neurodivergent children. We will dive deep to reveal the challenges of being neurodivergent in a neurotypical world and discover the power of shifting from a negative viewpoint that focuses on deficits and brokenness to a more compassionate paradigm that promotes strength, acceptance, and access. We will challenge your concepts about leadership and who or what makes a great leader. We will lean into the discovery of who we are and who we aren't so that we can commit to our truth and become the best version of ourselves we can be. By the end of this venture, you will have the tools and actionable steps to activate your own exciting and individualized leadership plan. Whether you're an aspiring leader, entrepreneur, professional, or parent raising future leaders, we will have something for everyone. Thank you for joining us. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the Neurodivergent Leader Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Heather Lynn Wagner, and today is part two of our series with the amazing Joanna Grace. Our recording with her was so spectacular, we decided to break it up into two episodes. Now, if you missed the first one, I highly recommend you go back and listen. We talk about her amazing work with sensory stories and what it's like to be autistic and in the workplace and the challenges of masking and finding out who you really are. But in today's episode, we're going to find out about how her son accidentally became the youngest published author in the UK. And his book is called My Mummy is Autistic. Now, what we love about this book is that it's really explaining neurodiversity through the lens of a five-year-old. And what if being neurodivergent was just that simple? Let's hear from Joanna how this whole thing came about and why she is so smitten. Really, he outed me. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> professionally, I, I didn't used to say that I was autistic, not because I'm ashamed of being autistic, but just for very practical reasons that I'm aware of the prejudice And I'm aware that there are some places and settings that wouldn't book me because they would assume that I would be difficult to handle, that I might not be fun to take out to dinner, that I, you know, would just be there to talk about being autistic. And although I can talk about being autistic, that's not what I do professionally. There are people who do that professionally and I have an enormous amount of respect for them. They're doing, it's a skill to do that. And it's not a skill I'm claiming I have. So I was worried that if I was out professionally as autistic, I would be expected to become a professional autistic, whereas I like my sensory stuff. (laughs) So I wanted to stick to that. But yes, my son's book. So my son is the UK's youngest published author, and I am the UK's most obnoxiously proud mother. It happened. It was an accident. Literally, it was an accident. We were shopping 
And I have a thing that I do with him when we go shopping is I get him to write me a shopping list. I tell him, oh, mummy's really forgetful. Can you help write me a shopping list? Because I'm a trained primary school teacher and I know that purposeful writing is motivating for children. Uh, When we had some news crews come and film him when the book was first published and one of them said to him, do you suffer from having a mummy who's autistic? And he just sort of stood there and didn't know what to say. And I said to him afterwards, what did you think of that question? He said, well, I haven't got a different mummy. It's like, how would I know? It's like, I've only got the one. But I was I was really worried about it. I was thinking, goodness, does he suffer from having an autistic mummy? I am, you know, I am different to the other mummies and our life is different because I'm autistic. Does he suffer because of that? And then I realised what he suffers from is having a primary school teacher for a mummy. That's far worse for him than having an autistic mummy <laughs> because... I've done all this purposeful writing stuff. So he had to write me shopping this before he knew how to write. You know, he's making little scribbly marks on paper and we were taking them to the supermarket. And then I just chat to him about the shopping list as you go around the supermarket as a way of making him feel like shopping is something he's a part of rather than just something he's being dragged around. And we got, there there was one day when we were queuing at the checkout and he's generally quite good in the supermarket. You know, I haven't had any screaming tantrum fits with him but it was a really long queue and I was sort of looking at it thinking, gosh, if ever there's a day I'm going to lose it, it will be this one. So I was saying to him, oh, have we checked check your list? Have we got everything on the shopping list? And he was looking at the food on the conveyor belt and looking at his list of scribbles. And he said, we haven't got a cucumber, mummy. And I looked and we hadn't. I was like, oh, so from then on, I, he could read his scribbles. I didn't know what that. I was totally off the job for shopping. I just stand in the kitchen. I look through the cupboards and go, we need bread. We need cucumber. We need this. Call it out to him. He writes the list. And then when we get to the supermarket, he stands on the front of the trolley with his list, tells me where to go, tells me when to stop. And he just does the whole shop. It's great. I just have to walk around like a princess just pushing the trolley. It's, it, it's mostly great. Every so often it goes badly wrong. I had a, I had an argument with him in the Christmas file because I wanted crisps and they weren't on the list and there's another family having the opposite argument looking at me like how have you wrangled that and I I ended up without crisps and I wanted crisps I couldn't his logic was really good he's like you've already had one unhealthy thing that's not on the shopping list mummy you can't have two I was like I can't really tell him that I'm not well I'll just have to sneak back into the supermarket later and buy my crisps so that's how we go shopping and you know that I run training professionally so I live in a very rural location in the UK so in order to deliver a training day I'm usually on a train for nine hours I have to stay overnight and then I have to travel back so it's a it's a big deal and I get back knackered and inarticulate and we were shopping the day after I'd come back from a training day and normally he's just doing the list but on this particular day something very exciting had happened to him the day before and so he was telling me all about it whilst doing the shopping and I'm just tired and hanging on to the end of the trolley and I'm honestly just listening to him I don't have to worry about the shopping he's he's completely got that in hand now I think he was four when this happened he's fine he can do the shopping I was just concentrating on him and he must have said stop somewhere in the middle of all the other stuff he was saying and he jumped off the trolley but I was still a couple of sentences back because like many neurodivergent people I 
experience delayed processing with language. So it's like it buffers as it goes into my brain. I hear it all just um, it's like skim reading in a conversation. And then later you get the full detail and you think, oh, she said that. Oh, she must have wondered why I said that. That's not clearly not the answer to the question. So it's like that. And I ran over his foot and he stopped and he I didn't hurt him. You know, well, I I hurt his foot, but not badly. He just stopped in the supermarket aisle and he looked up at me with his little face and his big eyes. And he said, but mummy, I said, stop. And I said, oh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is your foot OK? You, you're, let's should we get the tomatoes? Let's. And I sort of ushered him on. And then as that shopping trip carried on, I was thinking, I can't promise him I won't do it again. Because I was listening. I was absolutely listening. I wasn't doing. I know that he had my full attention and I and I didn't process that stop quick enough. And so as we walked out of the supermarket, I said to him, you know, mummy's got a different brain. Um, and in your brain, when the words go in your ears, they just go straight into your brain. But in mummy's brain, they have to line up. And I only hear the words when they get to the front of the line. And he just started school. So lining up was a really big deal because you suddenly you have to line up to get food you have to line up to go outside you're only allowed to run around outside not inside and you have to line up to get to these things so I think that idea of the words lining up clicked in his head and he looked at me like this is the excuse an adult gives for being allowed to run over your foot (laughs) and we went home and then because he's got a primary school teacher for a mother the following day, I wanted to check his understanding to see if he had learned the thing that I taught him, because that's good practice as a teacher. And so I said to him in the morning at breakfast, I said, do you remember what happened yesterday? He said, yes, you ran over my foot. <laughs> I was like, great. I'm glad that you remember. Do you remember why? Yes, because your brain is different. I was like, well, yeah, kind of. And he did a sort of, oh. and he got up from the breakfast table and got a piece of scrap paper from his like drawing paper pile and he drew me a picture of the words lining up to get into my head and I think looking back on it I think that shows somebody when they were talking about his authority to write this book said you know this little boy has lived 24 7 with an autistic person so he's an expert even though he's very young I think he knew that if he wanted me to understand it would be quicker (laughs) to draw me a picture than to say it to me so he drew me this picture and then again because he has a primary school teacher for a mother I went oh why don't you write a sentence underneath that so we write a sentence and then it was just the start of the summer holidays and it's his first summer holidays from school and I was thinking he's been doing all this how do I keep him writing how do I keep him practicing his maths through the poor child through the summer holidays and so I said to him oh we could do another picture about mummy's brain and write another sentence we could make a book and he did about three pictures and then he said oh this is boring I don't want to do this anymore so we stopped um and we made um wet floor signs for when I spilt water and you know he didn't get to stop writing I just found new ways to trick him into doing it um and then I said to him about a week later I said you know mummy's written lots of books and sometimes it's a bit boring writing books but it's quite nice to have written a book and I just left that in the air. And then the next day I said to him, would you like to do a picture about mummy's brain? And we pieced the book together over the summer holidays. And my plan for it was just that we would like staple it together and show it to grandma. I wasn't, but we got to the end of the holidays and his drawings are, they're the drawings of a five-year-old with a 
new pack of felt tip pens and he's just worked out that we've got irises inside our eyes so all of our eyes are really like goggly and we've got ears and we've definitely all got five fingers like on our hands and they're just these joyful pictures and I was looking at them thinking I think these are great but I'm his mummy you know I think his the sun shines out of his tiny bottom of course I think they're great but I am also a mummy who has a publisher so I sent them to the publishers and they have to go through committees you know they have to be you can't get published just because your mummy thinks you did good pictures and so yeah he is the UK's youngest published author and his book My Mummy is Autistic talks about the language processing differences that I experience. And it does so in a very pragmatic five, you know, mummy's brain is different. Words go in like this in her brain. This is what mummy's listening face looks like. This is what my listening face looks like. It's very matter of fact. It's very accepting and it's very celebratory. And Rutledge, his publishers said that they liked it because it was a child explaining the adult when too often it is the adult explaining the child as if having a neurodivergent brain is something that you grow out of, as if it's a problem associated with childhood, not just a natural part of neurodiversity and the diversity of our species. So it's fun. And we got um, Chris Packham, who's a, a famous broadcaster in the UK, wrote him a forward for the book, which we were blown away by. That's wow. It is. And it's such a nice testament to it would be helpful for children who are in his same circumstances. It's helpful for adults who are just recently finding out about themselves. And it's helpful for people who are not neurodivergent so that they can understand what the brain is yeah. like. And I think that educational piece of it is what's so fantastic and fascinating about it. There's a real challenge in it as well, isn't there? If a five-year-old can understand this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm just thinking about, like, I've tried to explain it myself to people. And if I can be like, from a five-year-old's mouth, here's what you need to know. And then it's simple. It's not, there's not all the burden and the complication and the bias and all of that added to it. It's just what is. So I love that. So we've talked about so many things. Your sensory work is phenomenal. We'll definitely send people towards the links to your website and your videos, but is there any takeaways before we say goodbye that you would like our audience to walk away with? I need to Jerry spring a final thought. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that neurodiversity is natural and that a lot of the deficit-based narratives, it's possible to flip. You know, it's not that this is a particular strength or a particular weakness. It's just capacity and context. Um, like those scientists I was talking about earlier, in a particular context, they are brilliant. They are, you know, the top of their game. And in another context, they would be unemployed and needing support. Um, and I, I want... <laughs> That capacity and context, that's a nice little neat ending. I wish I had a neat thing to say that it's the whole spectrum. You know, I'm very aware of my place on the spectrum. I also know a lot of people who live in a different place on the spectrum, people who don't have access to language, um, people who will need a lot of support through life. And I think their brains are equally valid and I think their experience is equally valid. 
And I don't want anything that I say to take away or to detract from the very real challenges that people face. When I first started speaking about being autistic publicly, I was worried that by being, you know, somebody who is a user of language and somebody who has got a job, um, I would be representing in a way that isn't accurate to the whole spectrum. But every time I've put myself out there, and especially with publishing The Subtle Spectrum, the most moving messages that I've received personally, so I get a lot of messages through Facebook from families, are from parents of children who have very complexly autistic children saying that something that I've articulated, and they'll say, I think that that's what my daughter is thinking, but she can't tell me. But there is a commonality to this experience across the spectrum. Yes, it's a broad spectrum, but our experiences are, there is, there's something about it that connects us all. So you're starting the conversation, Joe, which I think is amazing and worthy and honorable and all the things that make you wonderful. And thank you so much for being <laughs> here today. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. Thanks again for listening. And thanks to Joanna Grace for being such an amazing guest. On behalf of Donna and myself, I want to tell you just how grateful we are that you've decided to join us on this journey. So thank you. Now, did you know that we're currently offering free assessments on our website? That's right. If you have ever wondered about your own strengths or your sabotage patterns, I suggest you check them out. All you have to do is visit www.neurodivergentleader.com, click on the assessments tab, and take the assessments. Now, in our next episode, Donna and I will be breaking down why looking at behavior as a problem is the problem. If you struggle with your children and managing their behavior at home or in the classroom setting, I highly suggest you tune in. See you in the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. To register for an upcoming leadership workshop or to learn more about our one-to-one coaching and development programs, you can visit us at www.neurodivergentleader.com or follow us on Instagram at neurodivergentleader and check for the links in the bio. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.